We can build a, one currency for our entire fucking planet. That's, okay, that's an okay thing. That's still an admirable goal. We don't have to feel as Bitcoiners that we somehow failed if that first currency can't be used on every planet of the cosmos. Hello there from Bedford, the Bitcoin capital of the galaxy. How are you all doing? Bitcoin is chilling at around $55,000, looking pretty stable around this price. Kind of amazing. About a year ago, we saw that crash down to below 4000 and here we are, massive new all-time highs. Probably be back over 60k soon, right? Anyway, I hope you're having a good week. Welcome to the What Bitcoin Did podcast, which is brought to you by the Mighty Kraken, the best place to buy, sell, and trade Bitcoin. I'm your host, Peter McCormack, and today I've got an interview with the co-founder of Unchained Capital, Drav Banzao, and we're going to be getting into his series of articles, Bitcoin Astronomy, and I'm not going to lie. This is my favorite interview I've ever done. In all 322, this is the one. But before we get into it, I do have a message from my amazing show sponsors. Okay, first up, we're going to talk about Kraken, my favorite place for buying and selling Bitcoin, and the only place I use in this galaxy for buying and selling Bitcoin. But why, P? Well, Kraken is consistently rated the best and most secure crypto exchange. And as you know, because I go on about it all the time, security is really important to me. But they also have the best in class in customer service. So if you've got an issue, whatever it is, whoever you are, whether you're an alien, a Martian, or a human, if you reach out to them, they are going to get that fixed for you. And if you want to start trading Bitcoin, they have every tool you could possibly need. So whatever your level of experience, if you sign up at Kraken.com, it could not be easier to start trading Bitcoin. They also have a beautiful mobile first app, so you can trade Bitcoin on the go. And with their margin trading, futures, and OTC desk, Kraken has every option covered for you. There is no better place to trade Bitcoin you can find out more at kraken.com or download the app. It's available for the iPhone and Android. Just search for Kraken Pro, which is K-R-A-K-E-N-P-R-O. And next up, we have BlockFi, who had their massive announcement recently. Also, I did an interview with Zach Prince, the CEO, yesterday, asking him everything about borrowing and lending. That's going to be out on Friday. Now, BlockFi have their Visa Rewards card coming very soon, something we discussed, something I'm very excited about, because with their BlockFi card... You can stack sats on the go. With every car purchase, you will be able to earn a market-leading 1.5% rewards in Bitcoin. And this has now been opened up to everyone, to the public. So whether you are a BlockFi account holder or not, you are eligible to join. Now, if you want to find out more, head over to BlockFi.com, which is B-L-O-C-K-F-I.com. And next up, we have my newest sponsor, which is Ledger. Now, I've been telling you about Ledger for about six weeks. They've been a sponsor for about six weeks, but I've been a customer now for well, it must be it's over four years now. Back when I first got back into Bitcoin in 2017, the first wallet I bought was a ledger. I ended up buying two. Now, the main one I had is still a device I'm using today. Still love it. Now, security is really important with your Bitcoin. And the thing I love about the ledger, it's always been so easy to use. The device itself is easy to use, but Ledger Live, which connects you to your Bitcoin to safely manage your Bitcoin is so easy to use. And if you are an Android phone owner, you can connect your Nano S and manage your Bitcoin on the go. As I said, I am a big fan of the product, but if you want to check it out, head over to ledger.com, which is L-E-D-G-E-R.com. Okay, so now onto the show. We are 322 shows in since I launched this back in November 2017. And I think, I don't just think, this is definitely my favorite interview I've ever recorded. Now, Drav wrote a three-part article series called Bitcoin Astronomy. And if you haven't yet read these, then they are linked in the show notes. Make sure you do go and check them out after listening to this show. In these articles, Drav looks at what happens when we colonize other planets 
and whether or not Bitcoin can act as interplanetary money. He suggests that Earth will run on Bitcoin, but because of the time it takes to send a signal from Mars, that Mars and other planets will have to have or likely have their own blockchains, because even though they can transact, they won't be asked to mine, and they'll be incentivized to run their own blockchains. It really is a fascinating set of articles, and the conversation was amazing. I am a space nerd, so I did love this. Now, I know you'll love it too, but if you do have any questions or feedback about this, you can reach out to me. It's hello at whatbitcoindid.com. I do reply to everyone. I'm getting a lot of emails right now, but I do make the time to reply to you all. So feel free to reach out. Outside of that, if you head over to my other show, Defiance, at defiance.news, part four of our series about Britney Spears' conservatorship is available. We did have to deal with some legal threats before releasing that, but that's now done. So you can go and check that out. Also, you can sign up to my newsletter at neveredit.com. That is your daily dose of macro tech and Bitcoin. Lots of good replies on that. I think people are enjoying that email. All right, have a great rest of your week, and I will see you all on Friday. Drive man, how, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great, Peter. Um, I'm very excited about this show, as you know. The, uh, the moment I read that first part of your Bitcoin astronomy series, I was like, I've got to make this show. I've got to talk about this show. Because I, I don't know, man, the first part kind of, well, the whole series has blown me away, but the first part especially. And I'm going to say, if anyone's listening, I know you, everyone won't do this, but I do recommend jump in the show notes and at least read part one or go and listen to Guy Swan narrate it before you get into this interview. But uh, I, firstly, I have to ask, like, where did this come from? Like, why did you attack this subject? Um, I think it's it's interesting uh, for 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 me for a variety of reasons. I'm kind of a sci-fi nerd. I'm a physicist originally by training. Um, it's fun for me to contemplate these kinds of esoteric aspects of Bitcoin. I think I'm a problem solver and a technologist, and and that also makes it fun. So that's the best answer. It's fun to think about these things, uh, and that's why I do it. Um, but I would say I can try to rationalize it with some with some other better reasons that I kind of discovered in the process. And one is that. Um, and this is a classic physics thing. Like when you extremize one variable, you kind of can simplify the problem and you can maybe understand the core thing better. You know, physicists are famous for um, considering perhaps unrealistic, idealized, extreme scenarios to help them, you know, as intuition pumps, we sometimes say, um, to understand a problem space better. And for me, this idea of like considering Bitcoin or blockchains more generally in in space, far, far apart, like macroscopically, like many minutes or hours in terms of light travel time apart. It's a very extreme scenario, but it helps expose some of the underlying issues that a blockchain has to solve around consensus and communication, making sure all the entire peer-to-peer network is seeing the same mempool and so on. So that's fun. That helps me understand Bitcoin right now, here, today, a little bit more. And so that's exciting. Um, and then I think this is something that uh, Phil uh, Geiger, uh, one of my friends and colleagues that I work with at Unchained, um, I think uh, his assertion is that if, uh, there's a, perhaps a lot of people who get into Bitcoin because it has cool cryptography, or it's a fun, new, interesting kind of database, or it solves a money supply problem that they worry about, or it, it protects privacy, or there's so many reasons, right? Bitcoin is multifaceted. Um, and Phil's statement was maybe this is what gets some real hardcore science fiction and, and physics and astronomy nerds to come join the flock. And, you know, we could use Bitcoiners of all stripes. So maybe that's even a third reason. Well, we should do a bit of a setup for people because there will be people listening or jump straight into this. They won't go and read it or they might go and read it afterwards. And they might be thinking, what the hell are we talking about? So like, I'll kick off by saying, look, this is a three-part series that you've written. And for me, it felt like a mix of 
you theorizing about how Bitcoin works or blockchains themselves work in an interplanetary system, you know, where sure. colonies maybe are on Mars and, and, and the moon, but you've mixed it with a little bit of kind of fiction. Like you've kind of done a little bit of, like this could be turned part of it into a story because you start to theorize about how, how societies might develop on different planets. Is that fair? Yeah, that, that, that's absolutely right. And I, and I think one of my fantasies would be if someone who is a better writer and storyteller than myself would take some of these kind of speculative scenarios and, and really write something interesting. Like if, if, if folks have seen The Expanse um, television show or read those books, it's like a pretty popular, very modern and, and often described as very realistic take on what colonizing you know, um, the solar system might look like. Um, but The Expanse almost never talks about money. And science fiction almost never talks about money in general because maybe science fiction folks think money is boring, but money is interesting. The more that I learn about it, the more interesting it becomes. And Bitcoin especially is interesting. And I think there's some great connections between Bitcoin and blockchain and time and energy and consensus um, back to ideas that science fiction nerds can enjoy. And that's, that's again, part of what was the motivation for setting this, uh, this whole thing up. But yeah, we're talking about right. Bitcoin in space and we're asking ourselves, will it work? What will happen? And in, in, uh, to connect back to your, your, the, the other side of why fictionalization is interesting and fun here is because ultimately, I do, especially in part one, I, I think I provide some quote-unquote results, like some you know, experiments and some simulations that I ran that help uh, support some of the conclusions that I'm making. But I ultimately rely upon an argument about human nature and what humans are going to want in the future. And in order to motivate that argument, I kind of need to help the reader understand what it would, might be like to be those humans, what would, what would their recent history have felt like, and why would they want and feel a certain way. And so that, I felt, was easiest to communicate, and, and, and most fun, perhaps, like by trying to tell a, a speculative future history, right? Like almost like a science fiction documentary of like what happens in the future. I might argue that, like uh, again, a much better storyteller than I, but someone like the author of World War Z that takes like a fun speculative mm -hmm. idea, but then tells it in a really realistic kind of found media kind of way. Like this is my like really small attempt at trying to do something similar um, in a Bitcoin world. So just another thing to add into it. When I was reading it originally, the first part, there were two films I was thinking of. It just, it just sparked an interest. Mm -hmm. But retrospectively, there's something else I've been watching that's come to mind. So the two films that came to mind for me, I, I, I don't know if you've seen them. I'm assuming if you're a space nerd, there's a good chance you have. The original Total Recall. Yeah, of course. So obviously when they end up on Mars, right? Mm -hmm, and they do mm -hmm. end up, like at the end, mm -hmm. you don't know if it's real or not, but they kind of terraform Mars and it's like, okay. Mm -hmm. I thought of that, but I also, the recent Brad Pitt film, Ad Astra, and the reason I've I thought of that... that, that well, there's an interesting bit that I won't give too much away, but they go to the moon, and when they get to the moon, they land there, and you see a subway, right? So it gives you this idea that... that at some point, uh, well, for example, have you seen this thing that's on Apple TV at the most called For All Mankind? Uh, no, but I've, I've heard about it. I'm familiar with it. I'm actually excited to watch it at some point. Yeah, it's really good. So the, the idea, the loose idea being is there's like, uh, again, I won't give too much away, um, a, a slight spot, slight uh, plot um, spoiler, but not really. You end up with two colonies on Mars, Russia. Mm -hmm. America. So these are very early and these are just like like just astronauts. But you extrapolate that out and think further, you know, if you do end up colonizing these places, whether it's the moon, whether it's Mars, whether it's Ad Astra's subway, or what, what, any of these scenarios, 
you're going to need a medium of exchange. Yeah, you're, you're going, going to need an to economy. Need some, you're going to need an economy. You're going to need yeah. money, right? And if you sit down and talk to your uh, your uh, partner and my good friend Parker Lewis, mm-hmm. he'll tell you how important money is, right? Mm-hmm. So, considering you're writing, and considering the scenario where you need money, you have to put yourself in this kind of post hyper Bitcoinization world. And I have to say, yeah, that's right. That, that's yeah. right. I think coming so back to, to your Bitcoin point about money. yeah, I think coming back to your point about money, there's a, a new trend in in the way that the government, NASA, and you know that some of the big space industry companies talk about our return to the moon, which is happening, you know, with um, this Artemis yeah. program or whatever. Um, and there's this idea that like maybe last time we went there just to prove something, but proving something isn't going to create an impetus to be able to stay there. Um, and last time we went there, kind of off the back of government largesse and huge. You know, some might even argue malinvestment um, with, you know, a sort of space industrial complex. And if instead this time we go back, we as a species go back and under a more kind of commercial like banner, then there's we have to sort of justify commercially every step that we take. We have to make launches more Mm -hmm. profitable. We have to like have reasons why people are going there and people have to pay for it. And of course, that brings money more clearly into the picture. So I think one could write generally about how money and economics and space is going to be interesting, and it's going to be interesting just in, in general. But as a Bitcoiner, I want to write about how Bitcoin as money in space is going to be interesting. And so I asked the reader right up front in part one to accept like one more hypothesis is that like, look, it's Bitcoin. Like, I don't want to have, I don't, if you believe in ETH, go ahead. That's fine. That's your thing. Um, but you, you, you may not, you, maybe just read the rest of the article and replace Bitcoin with ETH if you like. Um, it, it's not really the point, right? Um, but you have to sort mm. of accept that something like Bitcoin um, and maybe ETH is a bad example in this regard, but you have to accept that something like Bitcoin, in particular, something that uses proof of work and that has like a block time um, and, and something like that is what wins. Um, I believe that's going to be Bitcoin, but my goal with this mm-hmm. article series is not necessarily to inflame that old argument. It's more just to project forward. So say you know Bitcoin or like Bitcoin-like blockchain wins, hyper-Bitcoinization happens, the entire Earth's economy shifts over to that. First of all, what does that even look like um, in, in large scope? And then as we play out and start to as a species colonize other planets and export, therefore, our money, our Bitcoin, into those places, what, what's the reaction? How, how, do, how do they adapt? And I think, going back to your two movies, I haven't seen Ad Astra, but yeah, obviously, who pays for the subway? Like, what's the subway token in the moon? Like, mm-hmm. what, what do you, is that a lightning network transaction? How does that work? How does that even connect back to Earth, right? Not a question most people exploring space might ask, but as Bitcoiners, you know, we're compelled to ask these questions. Um, and then I think your example of Total Recall is a great one. Again, not to spoil the movie, but a significant part of the subtext of the plot is a revolution on Mars for greater independence. Yep. And I think there's this um, there's this general insight that as we get further away from centers of power, um, as we settle far further, and it's always been true in the history of human expansion on, on the planet, right? As we get far away, we, you know, we want to get away from mom and dad. We want to build our own um, empires. We want to build our own states. We want to have our own independence. Um, we, we distinguish and, and differentiate as culturally, and then we want our own identity as a result. And I don't see why Mars or Pluto or wherever we go is going to feel any different. They're going to have a strong sense of cultural identity based on being Martian. Um, and then the series kind of picks up with, okay, well, how does that affect their interactions with Bitcoin? And then we then we start to get into the real issue, which is Mars is just really far away. So um, this is different oh, yeah. than a group of people moving to the center of, you know, Australia or the center of Canada and deciding to start a Bitcoin citadel, um, Bitcoin's going to work fine there, right? This isn't a cultural question necessarily about self-identity as much as it is how that question intersects with Bitcoin 
and blockchains, given the large distances that intervene between the planets. So that's really kind of the entry point for some more quantitative questions around, well, how does Bitcoin work over such a distance? And you know what? This stuff isn't that far-fetched, right? Because, okay, <laughs> In the beginning, it's we, not. We, you're right. It starts out kind of realistic. <laughs> well, but if you think, you think about it right now, we mm-hmm. have uh, commercial space flight programs at the moment. Mm-hmm. Richard Branson has one for Virgin Galactic. Um, certainly SpaceX, we would expect to get there at some point. Is it? Uh, is Jeff Bezos, is that Blue Horizon, I think? Trying Blue to Origin? The name. Maybe. Blue Origin, that is it. Mm-hmm. You've got uh, uh, the US talking about going back to the moon. You've got the Russians and the Russia and China talking about a green and moon base, which will mean the US has to have that has a moon base. Um, mm-hmm. And it feels natural if you're going to go to Mars, then perhaps you want to establish a base on the moon first to test some things out. And as you said, that you've got this need to commercialize it because people will want to go on holiday to the moon. And then you you have this scenario whereby, look, when I first got into Bitcoin, I say properly four years ago, when I was really going down the rabbit hole and I first heard Pierre Rochard talk about hyper-Bitcoinization, I was like, yeah, all right, look, I like Bitcoin, but come on. (laughs) Now I'm like four years down the road, I'm like, holy shit, no, this this might, could, and probably will Mm -hmm. happen. Maybe not for every nation on earth to begin with, but like, I can see it happening. So I can see the pieces of the jigsaw for your work. I can see all the pieces, right? And, and it's just kind of picturing them coming together. So this takes it to the first interesting point. And I've got like multiple questions. But when you're talking about how blockchains work and blockchains work in space, you talked about the fact that people are in this interplanetary scenario whereby we had hyper-Bitcoinization, they are living on different planets, they will need a a form of money, they will likely hold Bitcoin, and they can even transact with Bitcoin as long as they can sign uh, a transaction. But there are some issues with, for example, example, mining, right? You couldn't really mine on other Mm -hmm. planets. And you talk about this center of hash, like, I'm doing a terrible job here. Do you want to explain the concept? And And I'll throw my questions at you. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. So again, it's kind of like, this is why the narrative is kind of useful. So you imagine, um, what does it look like when we're settling Mars? You know, Elon Musk and SpaceX or whoever you want to say is responsible for that is investing huge sums of, of wealth in doing so. Bitcoin is continuing to grow. Um, like that's, that's right now. That's already happening. Um, but project both these trends forward, 20, 10, 20, 30 years. If Bitcoin, again, if we experience hyper-Bitcoinization and Bitcoin becomes the money supply, that becomes how we're investing in order to support the Mars program. Maybe you get Bitcoin for moving to Mars and being one of the first million colonists. And maybe that's such an incredible thing to 30 years from now, the amount that's being offered that you decide it's worth it. That's not unusual in the history of, of settlement, of, of you know wild continents that we're trying to tame. But when you get there now, again, we're positing, like it's, it's interesting to talk about money, but we're positing that it's Bitcoin, that we've hyper-Bitcoinized. So can you use Bitcoin from Mars? Well, yeah, you can. You can use it pretty much the same way that you might use uh, Visa or any kind of other system, more or less, if you're a user, right? Like you can hold you know, access to a Bitcoin private key and you can hear about blocks on the network. They're assuming that there's a you know, network transmitting data to you, which secretly I think is maybe what Starlink is, is, is setting up to be able to do. Um, maybe it's not just about the earth, maybe it's about other places too, right? Bandwidth in space is a really mm-hmm. val- valuable commodity. So assuming that you have the bandwidth, um, yeah, you can listen for blocks, you can run a Bitcoin node. You're going to be out of sync, right? You're going to be like 20 to 45 minutes out of sync with what's happening on earth. And 
That's not because Bitcoin sucks or like Satoshi's a bad engineer or like we, we haven't written the future yet. It's because Earth and Mars are 20 to 40 minute, light minutes apart. Or I'm, I'm not quite saying that. Maybe up to 45 light minutes apart. I think the, the lower limit might be smaller. But the point is you're going to be out of date a lot. But that's okay. You're just a user, right? Most users don't even run their own Bitcoin nodes. They're using Coinbase or something like this, right? So no matter what custody looks like in the future, and I hope it does look like collaborative custody, of course, that's what Unchained focuses on and that's what we want to promote. But in the future, like no matter how you're custodying it, you can still use the Bitcoin. Um, it's going to be a bad experience, right? Like today, you're, you're having to send a transaction and, and it hits the network in a few seconds and you have to wait an hour. Um, if you're on Mars, you have to wait 45 minutes to get the transaction to the miners on Earth. And we'll talk about more about why the miners are on Earth. Um, and then you have to wait another hour maybe for it to confirm, right? So it's a little bit less good of an experience. But you can use Bitcoin. You can probably use layer twos like Lightning, right? And you can make Lightning nodes with people on Mars, and that can be really fast. And you're, you can therefore use Bitcoin as a as a you know transactional currency, and and that makes sense because in the hyper Bitcoinized world, people are using Bitcoin for that on Earth, right? So you're used to that, and you can achieve that on Mars. So so far, everything is great, and probably this is how everything starts, right? This is probably how the colony gets started. That when they're on the colony and they go to the little liquor store in the colony depot, like they're paying in Bitcoin, maybe you know, through a lightning channel or whatever we have figured out at that point, you know, however far away this, this is, mm. I don't want to pin us down to today's technology necessarily. Um, but something interesting, I think happens when the colony grows, right? As they get bigger and bigger and bigger, you know, this, they're no longer a hundred or a thousand or even a million people. They're tens of millions of Martians. Um, that's a substantial population and it's only going to get larger. Like they're starting to develop their own cultural identity. And what they're noticing is that all their transaction fees accumulate back on earth. Um, now, why is that? It's 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 for a really simple reason. It's they can't mine Bitcoin on Mars effectively. Um, if they if someone were to start, if they were to throw up a Bitcoin miner, and because they can run full nodes, right? So they can connect to the network. But if they were to throw up a Bitcoin miner, um, I'm also simplifying here by by the way a little bit. I, I don't don't think today Elon could ship a laptop with Bitcoin node on it and connect, even other than bandwidth through. There's some time stamping problems and whatnot, but those are all solvable. We can skip over that. So you, they can run a full node. Why can't they mine? Well, they can't mine ultimately because, again, the time lag gets in the way, right? Imagine there's one miner on Mars and there's a whole bunch of other miners on Earth, the rest of them, like the very first miner on Mars, right? First guy tries to do it. Um, as that miner like gets blocks, those blocks are already 20 to you know, 45 minutes out of date. He tries to add more blocks on the end. Um, by the time he wins, let's even argue, like finds a block, he sends that block back to Earth. Like in the meantime, four more blocks would have been found right by earth earthly miners that he hasn't even seen yet and then they arrive at him so i think clark moody put it really well in an article he'd written about this topic earlier uh, several years before me which was basically like, like it's too little hash rate at too far a distance to be able to maintain consensus with the mining pool All right and that's the important part okay, like let, go ahead yeah so i just want to break that down like into just some basic steps so like people listening or understanding because i know this stuff comes natural to you so what we're saying <laughs> I'm going here too fast. Is, like no, 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 it's good. But what I'm, we're saying is, like, if I want to send you some Bitcoin now, I'm here, you're in the States, you know, I can get it into the, meet, into the mempool in, in seconds, and I know it's going to be about a, a, an hour. But because right. of the distance between uh, uh, the uh, Mars and Earth, mm -hmm. the time it would take for that message to get from Mars to the Earth would take up to 45 minutes. But it gets Say, in there. Right. Eventually gets yeah. in there, and then... And then I've got to wait for my six confirmations. I may want to wait more for whatever reason. But, but you know, so it's good as a settlement layer still, if I, if I don't mind, like, a few hours. 
but it's no good for you know, as a as a transactional layer, which people occasionally use it for, as like a you know, I know people don't buy cups of coffee. You could still use it as a transactional layer. I think in my hypothetical future uh, Mars world, like if you tried to build a lightning channel, let's say between Earth and Mars, you'd be subject to the same yes. time delays. So that would be awkward. But for example, you could be in a lightning network with your neighboring Martians, and that would be fast, exactly, and that yeah. would work just great. And then yes, if the two of you had to settle, you'd have to flush back to the network on Earth, and that would take time. But that's symmetric for both of you, right? So I think, yeah, and, and, and that's just a scenario you get used to. That's right, a scenario exactly. You, get used to. You, you suffer with it for a while as a Martian. But what? But the other thing we're really starting to talk about here is like uh, economic productivity generated mm-hmm. from the blockchain. In that, by the time this is a reality, you know we've gone we'll have gone through multiple halvings, and what mm-hmm. we're seeing is that over time, the block reward for the miners is going to be made up more of transaction. That's right. Costs. And, mm-hmm. and less from the actual Coinbase block reward, right? And what you're saying is, oh, all the margins here are are, are, are they've basically they're, they're sending Bitcoin back to Earth in terms of transaction, but mm-hmm. they're not keeping any of the productivity because nobody's mining there. But yeah. they can't mine because of the latency on the blockchain. Now, if that, the that's, blocks that's were, the crucial that's the crucial connection, exactly right. Like, why can't they just mine themselves and keep those fees? So, if say say blocks were one or two hours, could it still could it then work? Aha, great question. Yes, indeed it could. And so this is the result, right? Is that like, as soon as yeah. a blockchain designer chooses a block time, like they're making some kind of claim around how much time it takes the blockchain to gather you know, pending transactions and mint them into blocks. But they're simultaneously making a claim about a few other things. You know, We already know that block time affects things like orphan rate and so on, right? As you increase, excuse me, as you decrease the block time, you increase the orphan rate, right? This is the number of forks, uh, you know, colloquially. And the number of blocks mined that don't wind up into the long-term blockchain. But it turns out the block time also sets a certain physical scale, right? Simply because light and space are connected, special relativity, right? There's a maximum signal travel speed in the, in the physical universe, and we believe that's the speed of light, which means the largest, like this is, again, an approximation, the largest on some level, or I shouldn't say the largest, maybe the characteristic scale of Bitcoin in space, therefore, is approximately equal to its block time. Now, 10 light minutes ain't very far in the solar system, right? It, it, it's big enough to encompass the moon. The moon is about two light seconds away. So, you know, on, on Luna, the great cities that are built there or whatever, people will be able to use Bitcoin. They'll suffer a minor delay as they kind of connect back to Earth or whatever. Um, that's okay. It's two couple seconds. But moreover, they're probably going to be able to mine over there too. They'll be able to like build mining equipment and they'll be able to keep transaction fees local on Luna should they care about that. Um, because they're very close to Earth. But Mars is like many minutes, sometimes up to 45 minutes away. And for a block time of 10 minutes, that's going to be too long. If if Satoshi had designed the block time to be several hours, it could easily have included Mars and maybe Venus mm-hmm. or Mercury or whatever, right? But there would have been a further distance at which point it stopped working, maybe at Jupiter or at Saturn or at Pluto or certainly the next star over, right? If we really want to get, there will always be a get limit. out there. There will always be a limit. So a blockchain is a physical, in, in space and time, it's like a bounded box, right? That's an important thing to realize about it. And that choice is made the second you pick the block time for it. So Ethereum has a block time of a few seconds, right? And is using proof of work right now. But a, lar- a large part of these arguments will still carry over, even if the proof of stake, even though I don't believe proof of stake long-term is a sustainable solution to these uh, problems, but that's irrelevant. Um, by choosing a block time of a few seconds, Ethereum has a much higher uncle rate. And so they try to have a different 
you know, reward policy that rewards on gold blocks and so on. So they have to deal with that problem. But they also restrict their um, uh, blockchain size to be like much smaller. It's only going to be a few seconds in diameter. It barely will reach the moon, uh, much less anything further away. Now, again, that might not matter because what's as long as you can get to the moon, what's between the moon and the next planet? Nothing, right? But to a certain extent, it's just important to know that when you fix this time, you fix the scale. The words that I use in the article to describe these concepts are, I describe the idea of a center of hash. And mm. that's really what, I'm, <clears throat> what I mean by where is the Bitcoin blockchain? Well, it's on the planet Earth, but like, where is the mining happening? Also on the planet Earth. If you kind of average where the average location of all the miners are, it's somewhere in the, near the core of the Earth today. It's kind of a silly idea, but it kind of represents where the center of mass of the Earth is. It's somewhere in the core. And the center of mass is a useful idea in physics when we're trying to describe the overall gravitational properties of the Earth. So similarly, the center of hash, like where most of the miners are weighted by their hash rate, is a useful idea when we want to try to think about how blockchains interact at very long scales. And the claim that I make in the first article, which I support through you know, some simulations that I ran and whatnot, though I think you can get there analytically if you spend more time than I have, um, is have you, as you get farther and farther away from a blockchain's center of hash, so in the case of Bitcoin, as you get further and further from the planet Earth, um, the effectiveness of your ability to mine degrades. So the same hash rate, like at the center of hash, it gets, gets a certain amount of blocks. And as you move away from Earth to the moon, it degrades maybe a tiny percent. And as you move way, 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 way further out, the further you get, like the less blocks you seem to win with the same amount of hash because you're further away and that latency penalty starts kicking in. At some point, you simply can't win any blocks anymore. And so it's like there's this, this, this curtain or horizon, I call it a hash horizon, which surrounds every blockchain. And my claim is that Bitcoin's hash horizon is at most a few light minutes wide, which is uh, too small to contain other planets like Mars. Now, coming back to the future history, why is all this relevant? Because it means, exactly as you said, Martians can use Bitcoin, they can invest in it, they can hold it long term, they can even transact with it locally on Mars very conveniently, maybe less conveniently with folks back on Earth, um, but they can never mine. And if they can't mine, um, what does that mean? So today we think of Bitcoin mining as what? It's like a weird thing that some people do to get Bitcoin, it helps you know, keep the network running and blah, blah, blah. But if, if, if in my supposition we're in a hyper-Bitcoinized future world, then mining is much more than that, right? Mining is... On some level, it's unified with the energy production industry. It's part of what makes uh, um, it's part of what optimizes our ability to go find and discover and um, operationalize energy sources, because it creates you know this floor for um, the price of energy, um, and that lifts the market. And so, mining is viewed as like this important thing for an economy. Like, if your economy doesn't have mining, how are you going to optimize your energy production infrastructure? How are you going to make sure everything is as efficient as possible if you don't have that natural um, blow-off valve, so to speak, of hash rate to coordinate everybody around. Um, so Martians are going to feel like we're we're building energy grids like they used to in the 20th century over here, right? Where we're getting inefficiencies, like here in Texas, or in Texas, where our you know we had the snowpocalypse recently, right? With inefficient <laughs> yeah. and poorly maintained energy grids, that would never work if Bitcoin is really, really, or Bitcoin mining is really integrated well with energy production because it's so it, it's so liquid and so well monetized. So I think. There's a desire of a futuristic, hyper-Bitcoinized culture to want to mine. The mining is a virtue. And, and, and moreover, they don't, even if the energy thing is like less of a concern, though I think it's an important one, what you stated is really important too. Like you're sending all your fees to those people over there, those earthers, right? Like, and there may be some cultural animosity. It's kind of a trade deficit in some ways. Indeed. It, it's a mining deficit. It's a mining gap, right, between the users yeah. And the community on Mars and everyone on Earth. Everyone on Earth mines in this in this future vision, right? It's 
And it's not like mining is just a weird, it's part of the you know infrastructure of the energy economy. So every energy production producing facility, which might be your house or your solar panel, is perhaps also mining to a certain extent. It's just everywhere. And Martians just can't do that. And so what's their solution? And I propose that they will start their own blockchain. And now everything will work in reverse because Earth is so far away from their blockchain, all our tremendous hash rate won't be able to affect them. We won't be able to um, participate meaningfully in their blockchain. Like they, Their miners will become the ones who drive that blockchain forward. And so this is a really interesting moment to me. When I first like kind of like, convinced myself of this, um, it was like, you know, I maybe don't like the phrase Bitcoin maximalist as a label for myself. I think mostly I just don't like mm-hmm. joining things. But I'll, I'll accept, you know, small and maximalist as a description. Um, as a Bitcoin small <laughs> maximalist, how could I be so comfortable and cavalier with saying Bitcoin is limited in this way and that people will eventually rebel, quote unquote, against it and start their own currency? And, and, and then I sort of had to admit to myself, well, I already believe that Bitcoin is limited in space and time because of the choice of, of block time and the hash horizon. So maybe it's natural that separate colonies get their own chains and that some other universe wants like us to spread out and that wants us to like build these new blockchains. And indeed, perhaps that's part of what's exciting about proof of work blockchains is that the why would you go settle all these other planets? Why would you even want to? Well, what if you could start your own blockchain? You can't do that here, right? Like we've learned that lesson or we're learning that lesson now, right? ICOs fail, mm. altcoins collapse. You know, people who want to start their own blockchains, who want to have the immense uh, demonstrable financial gains from doing so, can't. Like, and we, we don't know that today in today's market, but maybe 100 years from now, we do know it. Like, it's in our bones. Like, we get that that's not how it works. Like, there's one currency you build and everyone uses that. That's what Bitcoin taught us. But if Bitcoin's, um, it, 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 it can be used everywhere, but if it can't be mined everywhere, there's a real reason why a fork of Bitcoin that does exactly the same things as Bitcoin does that just happens to be have started on Mars and mined chiefly by Martians is meaningfully different. And that's an interesting conclusion to reach. I, I enjoyed a lot of the conversations at Unchained between myself and other folks, you know, talking about this idea, where I think I convinced a few people at least who may have started out on no, no, dude, Bitcoin is the universe's currency. We, we're gonna use it every we're gonna use it as we settle the stars. And to realize like, well, maybe it's actually it's just for Earth, and, and it's sort of like, pause, like, is that not enough? Like, that's okay, right? Like, we can build a, one currency for our entire fucking planet. That's, okay, that's an okay thing. That's still an admirable goal. We don't have to feel as Bitcoiners that we've somehow failed if that first currency can't be used on every planet of the cosmos. Well, there's, a, there's an interesting intermediary step, um, which is the human factor in this. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and this you can only speculate, but... Yes. Um, if we think beyond the basic colonization of Mars, you know, perhaps we have millions of people there, terraformed, etc., uh, which is all theory, but just let's just assume it's happened. Mm-hmm. You suddenly, ha- we don't know what the governance structure for Mars will be or how it will evolve. But what we should expect, based on the history of humans, is that people will want to self-govern, and in the end, the people on Mars will not want to be governed by the people on Earth who have a different. You know, rules, uh, you know, they're far away. It takes, what, mm-hmm. four, you know, how, how many, is mm-hmm. it like a four-month journey from the from Earth to... to today, it's, it's, it, it's very long. It's like nine or 18 months. Like, it takes a long time for us to get to Mars. Well, let's assume some better, assume mm-hmm. some better technologies. They can go quicker, but months. then at the same time, sure. people, people always want to self-govern. You know, we mm-hmm. have the people, you know, we, we, can, we can look at examples all around the world where people want to self-govern. 
So mm-hmm. I think there naturally be, there could become a, a, a you could expect a revolt, you could expect a coup, you could expect Mars to want to govern itself with different rules. And at that point, if their currency is Bitcoin, they're still essentially a slave to the currency of Earth. In a, in a sense, and I think to, we might we might today be like, oh, that's a weird conclusion to reach. But again, in a hyper Bitcoinized future world, Bitcoin is so plugged into every aspect of your life. It's not just this settlement coin that you speculate around and, and make memes over, right? It's 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 transactional. You invest in it long term. You get paid in it. There's potentially other layers that exist on top of Bitcoin, like much of the internet and much of technology, maybe you know, settling down or motivated or plugged into economic incentives that connect on Bitcoin in some way. So it's really central to you. Um, you may even view it as a way that you achieve political identity. Like I'm not a big put mm. you know elections on the blockchain guy. Like that's not what I'm saying as directly and as simply as that. But I think there are connections between Bitcoin, blockchains, uh, money, and and identity and political representation. And I think on Earth we will be running those experiments over the next hundred years. Bitcoin is interesting not just because it changes the money, but because it reconfigures global power structures. We're not going to have society that looks exactly the same afterwards and i hope it's better i really do but it's going to be different and in the future this idea of like your currency and your coin and your mining and like all that connects and defines a big part of like who has power over you and like who controls your life is is going to be natural to assume and just consider the very simple idea that like if earth and mars ever go to war which happens all the time in science fiction books right about colonization Mm -hmm. and settlement of mars um what if earthly miners just decide to censor all Martian transactions, right? How would they know their Martian transactions? They're coming in over the damn com link, right? They're not coming in over the phone wires, right? Or, or whatever mm-hmm. mechanism that they have. Like, like they, they, uh, if all the miners are on the other team, there's a reason to feel unsafe um, in times of conflict. And so that may be another motivation for faraway colonies to decide to take things into their own hands. Which means we potentially get Mars coin. I called it Musk coin, Musk, uh, in, a bla- Musk coin? In, a bla- yeah. in a blatant attempt to get Elon Musk to read the article. But uh, yeah, something like that. Something like that, well, maybe listen. I think, is what happens. I mean, did, you know, just a slight segue, but you saw the mm-hmm. uh, the new job titles that him and his... Uh, I did. Come on, was it was it his finance director who took yesterday, Master of Coin? You know, perhaps mm-hmm. he's already thinking that far ahead. Perhaps he's already considering, well, if we are on Mars, will we have Doge? Will it be Bitcoin? Will it be Musk coin? You never know. I, I, I want to conjecture that if he knew about some of these like you know fun ideas, he'd be into them, but maybe not. Maybe he already mm-hmm. knows about them. Maybe he already figured them out, and he's just way ahead of all of us, and he's out there doing it. Maybe he's just saying dumb shit on Twitter. Yeah. Well, do you know what? I, I, mm, I took that actually a strong signal yesterday uh, because if – I th- was it Parker? Did Parker put up the SEC filing up on Twitter as well? I'm not sure, but I definitely saw a bunch of people I talking think, about it. I think Parker put it up. It, but the SEC filing to actually confirm mm-hmm. that. But I took that as strong signal that he's come to that realization of how important this is. You know, maybe he's got that bias because he put 1.5 billion in and they've made more money on that than they've made on selling cars. But at that same time, I think he's come coming to that realization of how important mm-hmm. Bitcoin is. So for him to be thinking that far ahead would not surprise me at all. Mm-hmm. Maybe not as far ahead as you. But for him to be considering the important role that Bitcoin is making you know, a generational impact, I, that wouldn't surprise me. No, um, and, and I think that's why, like, people are eager on some level to run all these experiments, right? People want to go to Mars. They want to, to they, they, it's clear that, like, there's so much excitement over a, um, 
and I want to say excitement of a different kind, right? Like there's more sustainable excitement. It feels like right now there's so many more invested players that are excited about space and space exploration um, uh, than, than perhaps ever before. Um, the cost and Elon has already brought the cost of space travel down by a huge mm. margin. I think, um, you know, it, it's very difficult to imagine like where, where we would be without reusable rockets and what they've done to the overall cost of putting a kilogram of payload out into space. And you need, you know, before any of the crazy speculations that I've engaged in can even happen, you need to just get into space more cheaply. And so um, I think Elon's pushing in a lot of really smart directions. Maybe, uh, especially like your point, uh, Elon, I think it's really smart about getting funding from places. Um, if it turns out that you can sit on an asset class that grows at 200% per year on average, maybe that's a really good source of funding to invest early in. And I think a lot of, hopefully, corporations are seeing that. That's why we're seeing this recent craze in you know, allocations in, in corporate treasuries. Mm. So must coin. So the interesting scenario here is that <laughs> that is slightly different for Bitcoin is that must coin can't have the same immaculate conception that Bitcoin has. Bitcoin is unique. It is completely original in that uh, Satoshi plugged the piece of the jigsaw together, but to create mm-hmm. this new form of At currency that never history. existed before in human history. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We'll come to that. Uh, I know where you're going <laughs> up with that, but 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 it's it's a completely unique invention, and mm-hmm. that has so many. Um, it's, it's just such a wide range and impact upon you know humans, and money, and how you know, like you said, how we govern the political landscape. It, you know, we could go on forever about that. Now, it could be from very early on that somebody wants to create a coin on Mars and perhaps people are happy with Bitcoin to begin with and it's considered a shit coin. You know, it, whatever scenario, there may be multiple tests. Now, that's a very different scenario because essentially it's, it, is, it is like now. It's that like shit coin race where someone's trying to prove it. But like you say, on Mars, there's actually a legitimate reason to have a separate coin. So is it, is it something that's created by a central governance, because you know, maybe Mars has governance, maybe it isn't sovereign individuals, um, you know, maybe it isn't private cities. Who who knows what that scenario is? But it's a different scenario for the genesis of whatever that coin is created. Mm-hmm. I think it's interesting to definitely conjecture about who who will be motivated to do it and when, right? Mm. Like on some level, like if my article you know touches any kind of nerve with anybody who makes it to Mars, maybe they started the first day they get there. But it's going to fail, mm-hmm. right, on some level. Because something I explore in the article is that while it's true that the great distance that separates Earth and Mars gives Mars great defense against Earth's hash rate, um, it's also true that like this word defense is meaningful, right? That uh, Here's an example. If there existed an entity that had tremendous hash rate and suddenly posted on the internet today a copy of the Bitcoin blockchain that had the same genesis block but was like longer and had fatter, heavier blocks with more proof of work in them, it would destroy the entire Bitcoin ecosystem. Why? Because as soon as a node heard about that blockchain, it'd be like, you're the heavier chain. And it would go jump over to that chain and it would ignore the entire five or 600,000 block history that humans here like in our real timeline have created in this hypothetical example. It would, I call that a hash bomb, right? If a blockchain shows up that has more weight than the real blockchain, but just like garbage transactions or no transactions or allocates all the Bitcoin that's created or the token that's created to one central entity, the attacker, essentially destroys the entire economy, resets it to zero. Um, and, you know, folks can get around it, they have to go, but it's very disruptive, right? You can imagine that would disrupt Bitcoin today and Bitcoin is barely used by 
nothing but a few million nerds. Imagine in the future when we had hyper-Bitcoinization, what a disaster that would be. Now, that's not possible in Bitcoin because no one has more hash rate than the Bitcoin miners. So how would you produce such an object? That couldn't happen, right? Impossible. But if you're the first guy on Mars and you create Muscoin and it's just you and your PC hashing on Muscoin and some earthly miners hear about it and they laugh and they're like, this guy's an idiot. I'm going to... We're just going to build a bigger version of Muscoin, and they'll dedicate 1% of one facility's hash rate for one hour, and they'll build a fake version of Muscoin that has the same Genesis block as what you picked, and they'll just send it over to Mars. It'll land. It'll destroy your entire network. So there's a sense in which it's predictable for both sides what the conflict might look like should they actually decide to be adversarial and you know, try to mine against each other's change and chains and create havoc. Like a, a, a Martian miner knows essentially the multiplicative factor by which by which their hash rate gets multiplied through the large distance and, and latency. And like, I'm not sure what the exact numbers would be because all of this is very theoretical and, and speculative. But imagine that it's one to a hundred, right? So Martians would know that. Look, until we get to one percent of Earth's hash rate, they're going to be able to destroy us very easily. Um, just by some small number of them deciding to resist us and and push back, right? So there's a sense in which if they're smart, Martians will discover a shelling point. There'll there'll be some moment where like they realize that look, we now have like sufficient GDP and like energy production already online. Where if we invested in like 3D printing a whole bunch of you know ASIC miners, like we could launch Muscoin and we could survive. Because remember, most people on Earth aren't going to care. Most miners are going to be like, oh, whatever. As long as I can keep mining, like I'm not going to give a shit about Muscoin over there. It's only like some minority that are like motivated even to to mess with this chain, right? On some level, they don't want to lose the fees, maybe, right? So there's some fraction of earthly miners that would say, like, screw those guys, I'm going to try and take their chain out, but most won't. So Muscoiners don't have to defend against all of earthly mining; they just have to defend against people that are willing to fuck with them. And that's going to be some minority, on- but. Go ahead. Depends on power structures. It depends on power structures and that's true. And government structures and the elite. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, 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 so if if there is an elite that is, for example, uh, trading with Mars, you know, yes. very profitable trading with Mars has a very profitable relationship, and all of that trading is done on Bitcoin. That seeing this almost uh, revolt on Mars could mm-hmm. that could be a threat to their income, and that could be the. Yeah, you know, that could be a point. Like, I don't know if we have nation states. I don't know if we have a a, a global government or a half global, uh, like, whatever opposed, it is. Opposed interests, right? Like a Martian would yeah. have to just try to measure up, well, who's opposed to my attempt to do this? What kind of hash rate could they actually realistically bring to bear? That, like, Remember, every, every hash that they spend yeah. on attacking me is one that they don't get to spend on earning Bitcoin. So like, realistically, how much hash rate can be summoned against me today? And the answer is maybe not that much, maybe a lot. I don't know. It'll depend, as you say, on the political configuration and climate at the time. Like, how contentious is the idea of Martians developing their own currency? I bet a lot of earthly folks would support it. They would say, like, it's their right to do that. Like, we're self-determined. They should be self-determined. There's going to be conflict and disagreement about it. But eventually, they'll like if they're smart, they'll measure. And they'll say, like, only now do we feel confident that we could resist and therefore we should launch. Um, and in terms of the immaculate conception, like, who will do it? I also think that's an interesting question because, again, this is the far mm. future. Um, maybe we are good at launching distributed projects with no owners. Maybe we have methodologies and best practices. Maybe there have been hundreds of projects like that launched on Earth. Not necessarily new blockchains, but maybe whatever, new you know, anonymous marketplaces or uh, other kinds of structures. And we've gotten really, really good at, at learning how to manage distributed anonymous launches of projects. Maybe that's a skill that we have. Maybe there's an entire scientific discipline 
related to engineering those structures that we that got its start in Bitcoin. Um, so I, I'm willing to believe that should they want to do it, they'll have the knowledge that we don't have in order to be able to understand how to do it, when to do it, and who to do it with. Well, the successful people will will be smart. You know, I think we can all agree. Dumb people will try and fail, and then eventually yeah, someone will really succeed. Well, I mean, you only have to go back on the history of Bitcoin and look at the, the projects before Bitcoin or the cypherpunks mm-hmm. and all the different projects and the attempts. Maybe it's the same scenario. You know, maybe there's the equivalent Martian cypherpunks you know, who are thinking through this deeply, thinking like you're thinking. Perhaps your research forms part of their research. You know, they're, they're having to consider all these scenarios. Perhaps they even put out a decoy blockchain while they work on another one. You know, I didn't all, all these that, yeah. Yeah, I mean, maybe that's mm-hmm. it. But my assumption would be perhaps it's even developed by AI with its own defense. You know, these are all the things we don't know. But, mm-hmm. but you would assume that if they're going, they're going to have to go through a test and learn process to create something to deploy. Because the, the other thing is like that transitional period. It's like we're going, th- we would be talking about hyper Bitcoinization here on Earth. You know, they would have to obviously consider hyper Musk coinization. You know, is there a transition? They would be, they would be seeking it, presumably. Right? Yeah, they, they would... and there's that tra- transitional period where they're using Bitcoin, but some are using mm-hmm. Musk coin. And then, does Earth ever accept Musk coin? And I think there's tensions there too, right? Not every Martian is going to support this. They're going to say, like, this is stupid. Let's just use Bitcoin. Like, it already works. Like, I don't give a shit about mining. Like, I don't believe all that stuff. Like, we'll figure it out. Like, don't upset the boat. And I think there's all these wonderful. You know, American Revolution analogies and, you know, Tories and Redcoats and Freedom Fighters and, and who are actually, you know, maybe in, in manipulated in their own ways. And there's wonderful fiction, I think, to be written um, at this intersection one day. And that was one thing that I was trying to inject a little bit is the sense of like, this is a revolution of a certain kind. And like any revolution, it needs leaders. It needs the right economic climate. It needs to have the right timing. Um, right, and it's going to create problems after the fact um, and vacuums that need to get filled and replaced and figured out. Um, but it feels like also an interesting kind of revolution, like it's like an economic mm. revolution. Like it's not necessarily a bloody war. It's more like you know both sides assemble their hash rate, like perform a calculation and determine that it's not it is or is not economically reasonable to continue to fight or whatever. Right, like that's the ideal bloodless version of this revolution. I don't know if it'll actually be that way. Well, it could be also, it could be a, a, a actual repeat of Bitcoin. You could have the equivalent uh, Joe Weisenthal working for Bloomberg Mars claiming mm-hmm. that Musk coin is too volatile. Yes. You know, I'm yes. just going to keep, I'm going to keep using Bitcoin. You could, you could have a, you could have Nick Carter on the, the equivalent Nick Carter on Mars with his, uh, with his FUD dice, you know, rolling mm-hmm. out the, uh, the Musk coin FUD. It could be that. John Carter, let's call him. Replant. Yeah, John Carter. That's a, yeah, this that's complete replaying. Uh, John Carter is from. I think Edgar Mar- Rice Burroughs, I want to say. Yeah. Something. So, someone on these, Mars is named Carter. <laughs> well, but you could have a, a repeat, repeat of, the, of a similar amount of FUD created around Muscoin that you've had with this transition away from the dollar towards something like Bitcoin. You, there could be a I would, glorious that, I would expect of like it. many coins, right? It doesn't have to be like all of Mars is coordinated and they pick one coin and they launch it and everything is like solid. They could bicker and fight and like like attack each other just as much as, as Earth could attack them. And in fact, that might be one of the best things for 
an un, a misaligned Earth interest or antagonistic Earth interest to do is just fund some Martians to launch a competing currency and say that it's better and try to convince people to use that one. Um, so I think even Martians may recognize through their knowledge of history that, look, if we really want to nail this, we've got to do what Bitcoin did. And I don't, I don't know how that will work out. Um, m- maybe it will, maybe it won't. Right, but I, I agree with your point. Like people will try to start the project too early, and they'll fail. And when time is right, you'll see a lot of people like competing to become what is Musk coin. Because imagine that, right? Like just like today, there's this feeling of like one of these currencies is like maybe going to become really big. Maybe, maybe some people believe many of them are, but like others believe just one is going to win because of various reasons. Which one is it? If you're on the wrong one, it doesn't matter how much you had, right? It, you have to be on the right one. So it creates all these um, tribal conflicts, and maybe those embroil Mars for a few decades as they're struggling with their own revolution. So I think there's a lot of fun speculation to be had here. Next up, I talked to Drove more about interplanetary Bitcoin. But before that, I do have a message from my amazing show sponsors. Okay, let's talk about Exodus. They've been sponsoring the podcast for a while now. Now, as some of you know, my bank wrote to me a while back and they said, we're closing down all your bank accounts. It's probably something to do with Bitcoin. Now, either way, whatever their reason, I had to get a better solution. I've had to change my whole banking relationship, and I'm gradually moving my business to be run more and more on Bitcoin. I get paid in Bitcoin, and I pay people in Bitcoin. I can't do the whole thing because a certain amount of my business is run on pounds, a certain amount of dollars. But in running my business partly on Bitcoin, I have to send Bitcoin, I have to receive Bitcoin, and my accountant is always moaning at me for having good audits with this. So... I needed a solution. And when Exodus reached out to me and they're like, Pete, check out our wallet, I had a play. And I was like, do you know what? I like it. Let's give it a go. So I've now been using it for a couple of months. Honestly, I love it. The UX is amazing. Now, if you want to check it out, you can find out more at exodus.com or just search for Exodus in the Apple or Google app stores. Next up, we have Casa, the very best in interplanetary Bitcoin security, who I use to protect my Bitcoin. Who I've been using for coming up to a year now, and I'm going to be upgrading when my renewal is due because I love it. It's amazing how I'm now protected from my own stupid mistakes, hackers, in-person attacks, device failure, and so much more. And look, if you're making gains and if you haven't got your Bitcoin security shit together, please go and check Castle out because they have a product for every Bitcoiner. With Castle Gold, you get triple the security of a hardware wallet. And it's only $10 a month. With Castle Platinum, you get their three or five multi-sig. And with Castle Diamond, you get their full service offering. This includes a customized personal security review, inheritance planning, and of course, their best in class in security. There is no better time to upgrade your Bitcoin security and get total peace of mind. You can find out more at keys.casa, which is K-Y-S dot C-A-S-A. And lastly, but not least, is sportsbet.io. <laughs> Funny story. So we're about to renew our contracts. And I said to them, I think it's about time you guys bought me a Lamborghini. I've sent a lot of people to you. I think I deserve one. And do you know what? They came back and they said, all right, and we'll also get another one, which you can give out to one of your listeners. <laughs> so we've got a competition coming up soon. I'm not sure the exact format. It will likely be a game or something on their website, but one of you will get the chance to win a Lamborghini. And because I also need one to make the competition valid, they're giving me one too. <laughs> oh, what a crazy world. Now, listen, look, if you are interested in checking out sportsbet.io, they are the best for online gaming and they accept Bitcoin. They love Bitcoin. And they have every market you could possibly be interested in. They've got football, tennis, American sports, motorsports, even esports. And for new customers, they always have a range of promotions available. Not always a Lambo, but they do have promotions. And if you want to find out more, you just need to head over to sportsbet.io forward slash promotions, which is S-P-O-R-T-S-B-E-T dot I-O forward slash promotions. Do you know one thing I hope about Mars? And I don't know if this will happen. 
I hope there are no weapons on Mars. Hope, hope no it's, weapons. Uh, it's, mm-hmm. I mean, it would be impossible because you're going to have printed, you know, um, 3D printers. So it's, it's almost impossible. But mm-hmm. nuclear what, weapons what, and spaceships I, and so on. Yeah. Like, I think this, I think space is a dangerous place in general. Yeah. So the, I think the next step then is okay. Musk coin happens. There are colonies on the Moon, Venus, perhaps um, on some of the moons mm-hmm. of Jupiter. Like, okay, we 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 spread out through the solar system. There are now multiple currencies. We've got trading routes, trading partners between these planets. We've essentially created the same multi-currency world that we have now that exists in the uh, on Earth in the solar system, and. We potentially get to that because you're trading partners. We'll like, we'll take your coin. We'll take you know which one should we hold? We have a reserve. Maybe we have a basket of reserve blockchains. <laughs> yeah, we have yep. part Saturn yep. coin, part Theta. Yep. We recreate that scenario, and potentially in recreating that scenario, we might not have inflation, but there may be the argument that someone will say we need one blockchain to rule them all across the solar system. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's where you kind of pick up in part two. That part one kind of says exactly as you're yeah. saying, like, if you believe us so far, then what you've accepted is that you can be a Bitcoiner and you can still believe that new blockchains will start far away because they can't mine. And so they need to mine. And so they'll start. That means many of them will potentially start. So now we'll go way forward. Yeah, you have many blockchains. Isn't that just today's inefficient multi-fiat currency world? And to your point, no, it's not multi-fiat because we can't inflate these currencies, though. Maybe that maybe the plutonium oh, blockchain is very very loose with their money supply, right? So maybe there are conflicts mm. like that that occur. Maybe there are, maybe there is more or less inflation. But you might imagine that in a healthy interstellar interplanetary um, economy, that these kinds of things, like arbitrage and trading and cross and cross chain atomic swaps, right, which let us trustlessly exchange these different blockchain assets, these sorts of structures will help you know even out the market, right? So probably Bitcoin mm. continues to be the most valuable currency in the solar system because it's connected to all the wealth and you know. Biological, intellectual, technological, um, the population of Earth, right? So it's very hard for me to see how Muscoin is, at, you know, market cap wise, worth more than Bitcoin, at least to start out with. But also over time, you can imagine, you know, as like demographics and populations shift and change, like the solar system can support many trillions of human beings. They're not all going to live on Earth. There are going to become other power centers. And you might imagine that over hundreds or thousands of years, that as we settle the whole solar system, in, indeed, like other blockchains could become more dominant over time. So a little bit, you're right. Like it's this paradigm of shifting, like a, a m- multiple currencies, and then shifting balances globally as one or others are considered more reserved than 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 some others. Because remember, everybody can hold everybody else's currency and trade it. They just can't mine except for on their own, right? And, and exactly yeah. as you're suggesting, people will start to ask, like, this seems inefficient. Like, is there a better way? Like. Could we build a blockchain that all of us can just use? Well, well, first of all, like you can all use Bitcoin. Like you can hold Bitcoin and trade it anywhere you are. That's not a problem. You have to wait a long time, but uh, to be, for the things to go back and forth from Earth, where the center of hash of Bitcoin lives. But you can use it. So maybe the question is: Is there like the reason we're not all using Bitcoin is because we all decided we needed to mine? That was helpful. Um, is there a blockchain we can build that we can all mine on? And and part two kind of asks this question and. And the real challenge is, is what we learned in part one, right? That like any blockchain is kind of fixed in space and time and that they're related. And so if you want people to be able to mine over a spatial volume that's the size of the solar system, if that's your hash horizon, to use my language, 
that's many light days in diameter. So that suggests that your block time can't be 10 minutes. It needs to be at least several days, maybe a week, maybe a month even, right? If you start to start to go at that level. Um, so if you have a blockchain with a block time of a month or, or weeks or whatever, weeks to, weeks to a month, what does that look like? Um, in theory, it's large, it's hash horizon is large enough for everybody to now mine on it. But like, how long does a halving take, right? Like how long do you wait for, you, you wait a quarter for a confirmation for, for a fully confirmed transaction in this. And I, I've called this blockchain, blockchain that's the you know the size of the solar system. I've called it Solcoin in part two, mm-hmm. just as a, um, just to, to have a name for it. So you're waiting like months to confirm Solcoin transactions. I think like I talk about how it would take tens or hundreds of thousands of years to go through, you know, halvings and produce the whole supply of, of Solcoin, whatever it was. Let's assume it just ran the same way Bitcoin did. So it's this crazy structure. Like who, like the, and this is to me like an interesting constraint. As a physicist, I, I often think that like when there's a constraint that seems like you can't get around it, it's like actually a law of nature. That's a famous quote from Heisenberg. And so like if we are struggling to build a blockchain that's this big, like that works the same, that has like a 10 minute block time and all that, maybe the lesson is we're not supposed to. Maybe we're supposed to, I don't know what we're supposed to means in this context, but maybe what we're supposed to do is accept that in order to build a blockchain the size of the solar system that all you know our city, states, and planets can can hash within, we must accept an incredibly slower kind of pace. And then I suddenly realized that that's actually really natural for space at the scale that we're talking about. I mean... Yeah. Unless you could relay messages through wormholes, which... Uh... Einstein, which you know, believes exists, which is n- n- not not part of my my speculation. But yeah. I think if you can, it changes it changes a lot of things, right? Because oh yeah, you just have your yeah. wormhole cell phone and you you talk to your buddy instantly <laughs> on Earth or whatever. I don't know. That changes the well, nature of this discourse. There's a, there's another step there. I think that's quite interesting mm-hmm. to think about as well. Is like how does Solkine come to exist? Do you know potentially with yeah interplanetary colonies, mm-hmm. interplanetary currencies? Do we have, therefore, certain hostilities naturally like we do on Earth between countries? Is Bitcoin a bit like the dollar is right now? It's the kind of mm-hmm. solar system currency. There's the equivalent of like the petrodollar you know, across the solar system, which is Bitcoin. And perhaps there's mm-hmm. a group of kind of, I don't know, a group that are, are dispersed across the planets. And they're saying, you know, it's uh, soul kind fixes this. Fix the money. Fix and, the Bitcoin. And, 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 yeah. Fix the blockchain. Fix the fix the fix. money. Fix the solar system. Indeed. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's it's interesting to conjecture, but this is, at this point we're so far outside of the realm yeah, of I stuff know, that do. we can reasonably talk about. But it's fun, right? And I think oh, I love it. The, the 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 you're right in a sense. Like we we there is risk, right? Like part of the reason that the Martians wanted their own coin is that they felt risk trusting the Bitcoiners over on Earth because cultural walls can intercede, right? Great distances create separation, create new kinds of shared interests. If we can assume that different parts of the solar system, different colonies and stuff feel this kind of occasional mutual antagonism, well, they may not be comfortable collaborating or building projects or whatever. Um, And then not to mention the the inefficiency problem, which we kind of already addressed. I think there's also a long-term risk management problem, which is if Bitcoin, if if you're and this is the the idea that I introduced in part two is I, I really do believe in the future wealthy people and, and maybe not even maybe average people, but certainly the elite of society will live a very long time. They will live for not a hundred years, maybe a thousand years, maybe ten thousand years. It's it's not insane to 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 conjecture about technologies, biological or cybernetic, that might enable those kinds of lifespans. 
if you're a wealthy, if you're one of the wealthiest humans and you expect to live for 10,000 years, where do you keep your money? Um, if you keep it all in Bitcoin because you live on Earth, what if Bitcoin gets blown up? What if Earth is blown up? You know, if, if you can clone your mind, in, as, as we sometimes see in these kinds of futuristic scenarios, why would you keep your money in one spot? Right? You would spread it out. So maybe now you play the portfolio okay. management game of, of you hold some Bitcoin and some Musk coin, some Pluto coin, whatever. This is another inefficiency that, that has been introduced. Right? Might it be easier to hold Sol coin, a currency that cannot be destroyed by destroying any single planet because its hash rate and its, and its blockchain is spread out across nodes around the entire solar system? That's a very interesting construct. And Sol coin's time scale is so long that you, but you live so long. Maybe you're the kind of person that routinely hibernates for a thousand years while you wait for mm -hmm. your investments to mature because you, what your big game is, you're trying to get to the next star system. And so you're, you're this elite person that's developing this technology and, and you're told it'll take 300 years to, to build. So you just go to sleep and you expect your funds to be safe when you wake up. Um, and you don't want to consider the risk. And it might be really interesting for you to operate at these long timescales, which is exactly what Solcoin delivers in alongside the solar system scale or, or hash horizon. That's right. So there's all these interesting connections yeah. between like getting bigger time scale, like human ambition. And again, that's part of why I like to fictionalize some of this stuff because it helps people connect. I think a little bit to what these motivations might be for for people. Um, yeah, there's two. There's a couple other things we need to drop into that. Then, so there's the assumption. Yeah, we're we're, we're stretching out thousands, tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands a year. But so we have. Uh, solve the problem of uh, potentially most death scenarios apart from um, potentially um yeah like certain accidents but um we, yeah we I mean, the solar the system well. we know can support trillions of people so what's a good way to get to trillions of people is if people stop dying yeah so certainly the aging problem do we call it a problem i don't know if you call it a problem we solved aging when it's a problem some people, people call it a problem he he has one yeah. of my he has he has one of my favorite lines i think ever um, that I've ever heard in a scientific talk, which is, well, what's the problem with aging? Why should we stop it? And he pauses and he's like, because it kills people. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, we don't consider that like, it's so natural to age and die. It's part of, it's part of life. But people are pushing to solve that problem. Some of the same people that are settling Mars and building rockets are building life extension companies because the two go hand in hand. The scale of space is so tremendous that if you live a hundred years, you can't experience but a hair of it. So if you, if you it's, yeah. it's in your interest to create a future where you can both travel in space and live a very long time. Yeah, and our man Hal Finney is cryogenically frozen, as I understand. Um, mm -hmm. So maybe he comes back to work on that project. But the other thing is Perhaps. to consider, actually, this might be a scenario whereby maybe it's not all humans. Maybe it's mm -hmm. that scenario where it's mainly robots and robots are designing these things. That's another thing we just don't know. But if Elon Musk has got anything to do with it, we're certainly heading in that direction with Neuralink. No, no, no. That's right, and that's that's one of the best ways that it, you you might have long lived entities. Even if humans don't achieve for themselves significantly long lifespan, maybe we're limited out. We can only live to one hundred and twenty five years, and maybe there's no mind uploading or whatever. If there are things like AIs, then those can be long lived entities. Um, I don't know whether they're benevolent, whether they have personalities whether they're sort of um, mindless investment bots that just exist to like make money for their creators or whether they have like, you know, ambitions of their own and secretly human civilization is directed by these timeless AIs while we're all just these ephemeral meat bags that 
you know, consume and and uh, <laughs> around them all the time. I think depending on your your politics, perhaps your your philosophy, your morality, you can project a lot of um, scenarios. But I think there's definitely a match between time scale, space exploration, and I'm arguing money as well. Well, I, I guess uh, in a scenario of um, whether this is robots as such, you there is a problem you do solve in that you don't need to essentially terraform uh, planets uh, to colonize them with robots. All you need is energy. That's the only thing you need. You don't need food production. Um, you don't mm-hmm. need to worry about um, the supply of production of oxygen. So, yeah, you can colonize future planets with robots. Or I wonder if there's a like, I wonder if there's like this kind of a humanoid in between which doesn't require like part biological but doesn't require food or oxygen. There is, you know, I think of that film where um, it, was a sh- it was a shit film. It was a Johnny Depp one where they like upload him to the mm-hmm. computer. You know, those scenarios, you, you solve a number of problems for colonizing other planets. I mean, the two, the, the, yes. the two major problems is food production and, uh, Oxygen. You don't need that. Yeah, it's much easier to travel long distances if you don't have to keep biological things alive. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, and, and maybe yeah, that's part of what drives some of these changes in society at these long-term scales is that we, we increasingly are, are not biological things, that we take on a different perspective that's much more centered around energy and less around yeah. you know, resources. And I think they're, 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 that's another really deep connection, um, especially when we talk about um, going even further than other planets. If we're talking about going to other stars, like I don't think it's generally appreciated like how much energy we're talking about when we contemplate ideas like that. It's very it's it's fun for me, like in movies when there's like the casual, you know, taxi cab space or sized interstellar spaceship that some guy like, you know, jumps out of and jumps back in and he goes off to another star. And it's just like it's 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 fun and cute because the amount of energy like for forget like a big spaceship with you know uh, you know sophisticated all this stuff just like a fucking rock you know like the size of a taxi cab that's moving at a significant fraction of the speed of light contains more energy than our civilization produces like annually right, by many orders of magnitude so just this idea of like we would humans are going to like build a spaceship and go to the next star over in in a short amount of time you know in, in within a few tens or even a few hundred years um, it requires energy that we can't even access today. So the a question behind the question is like in order to do all these amazing things that we contemplate doing as we become an advanced civilization and do all these wonderful things um how do we afford the energy budgets how do we build the structures which optimize human energy collection by orders of magnitude required to get to those kinds of outputs and i think this is exactly the bitcoin you know criticism of energy usage but inverted bitcoin is a hungry machine that makes us go liberate energy resources that we're not otherwise using because we can put them to work hashing and don't have to be adjacent to a supply chain or a market or a source of raw materials in order to be valuable economically. We just got to hash with them and then we can like, you know, turn them into real money. Um, that idea applies at the solar system scale too. Like there's like our sun is streaming out so much energy in every direction, like all through, you know, space that we're not using. Um, it's just being wait. If you'd like, it's being wasted right now. It's just entropy being manufactured out into space and if we could harvest all that energy, like we could maybe be able to power things like interstellar missions. Maybe we could actually, um, you know, become an interstellar species ourselves and ascend the Kardashev scale. If you've heard, if, if you've heard that, which I talk about in the article, just, just become a more yeah, advanced species. The, uh, 
type one, type two, type three civilizations. Sure. Yeah. Like a loose categorization of civilizations by their energy budgets. Yeah. Exactly. If we want to ascend that scale, we need a, a driver that causes us to always be hungry for more energy. And blockchains are gr- proof of work, in particular, blockchains are great drivers like to do that. And so when we think of like Bitcoin as I sort of conceptualize in part two, Bitcoin as moving us like up the scale from being like a sub-planetary civilization to becoming like a planetary scale civilization that uses the full energy of the energy that hits the Earth's surface, because we're because not because we're using all of it for Bitcoin mining, that's absurd, but because Bitcoin mm-hmm. mining drove a virtuous cycle in the adoption of new energy resources and the building of new energy pipelines and pathways and optimized and, and made more efficient our entire production pipelines. So similarly, I think that can happen at the solar system scale. But if you have a blockchain that incentivizes energy collection across the entire solar system, such as Solcoin. So there's this connection, again, between long time scales, huge energy, like money, ambitious projects, long lifetimes. I think, you know, again, you could get around this if you could just make it so that everybody can mine everywhere. Or you could get around this if people didn't hyper-Bitcoinize in the first place or something and everybody just trusted the central bank uh, of Earth. But I think these speculations are so interesting because they reveal ways in which Bitcoin, like we thought it was a money, we thought it was a consensus tool, but it might actually also be an energy optimizer. It might be an engine that takes us like straight to the stars, like over the course of a hundred years. Like that's pretty cool. Um, I'm not saying that's exactly what it is. It's more complex than that, and I'm simplifying greatly. Yeah. But I love that it, it create like in particular. I love that proof of work is this incorruptible. Um, ungameable, like unpredictable thing that also creates like positive effects potentially for society's energy usage and infrastructure. That that is still more conjectural, but um I think that's what's happening. And 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 following that trend is part of what this series is all about and seeing where it takes us as a species. Well so what I really liked was this idea when then you talked about because I've heard about these concepts of type one, type two, type three civilizations. Mm-hmm. And there was a thing that was I think I'd say about a year ago, I don't know if you followed it, where there was like this kind of weird uh, signals coming out of space. And there was this conjecture mm-hmm. of like whether this was a planet that was harvesting the energy from the sun because of sure. the something to do with like the the um, the blink of when the, the planet was, mm-hmm. I don't know, something weird was going yeah, on. Yeah, the, 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 the pattern of light. About. The light curve. Yeah. That was, it was kind of like really di- the dips in the light curve of a famous star that astronomers were looking at over the last few years. That's right. Yeah, and they couldn't work, work, out, work out what it was. And then we got these kind of like artist impressions of this kind of big mm-hmm. matrix yeah. that was harvesting <laughs> energy from the sun. And I mean, Those I just were exciting. Was, yeah, I was like, really? That's fucking cool, mm-hmm. man. <laughs> is that real? I think it turned um, out maybe it's that- something more natural, but like that doesn't mean yeah. that idea is unrealistic. But moreover, I love that. Like science fiction is again often talked about, like, hey, one day advanced civilizations might build crazy structures like this. They never ask, like, who funds that structure? Like, how do they have such an incredibly huge energy like production pipeline to do this thing? They don't ask, like, what is the incentive structure and the government relationship between government and industry that causes is like, why did they even build it? Right. Like they posit crazy things like uh, it was the project of our famous scientist or our population was growing, so we just decided to build this thing. Like they don't they don't ask those deeper economic questions because there hasn't been like a, a framework that is that is interesting about money to apply to that context until we start to think about scaling up Bitcoin and blockchains and proof of work, because suddenly now it starts to connect all these ideas together. Um, again, that makes me a, a longer term believer in Bitcoin, 
helps me yeah. not worry about proof of work because I don't view proof of work as some massive weakness, like we're wasting energy. No, we're using energy. And the usage of that energy delivers all sorts of benefits. And in fact, it might shape our society um, over the long run. This is where we should probably bring in the Fermi paradox, though, and talk about Aha, the fact that we, sure. might, we might never get there. So uh, whenever I see the Fermi paradox, I get this smile on my face because mm-hmm. I read about it first on Wait But Why. Mm-hmm. You know that yes. website, that guy writes these ridiculous mm-hmm. long things. I'll put it in the show notes mm-hmm. if nobody's read about this. Mm-hmm. But the Fermi paradox is this uh, kind of concept that uh, we never reach. Why are there no type two or type three civilizations? Why have we never been visited by aliens? Who knows? We might do. You know, might have been. We've seen some weird things coming out of. Um, <laughs> uh, if you listen to uh, Joe Rogan, some kind of weird things are going on there. But like. Um, Surely, if the type two or type three civilizations exist, they maybe would have visited us. We'd be aware of it. Where are they? And the idea of the Fermi paradox is that there's this like great filter that no civilization gets past because it always destroys itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a common explanation. Is that like I, I guess there's the tension right between like because to be clear, it's not really a paradox if you just say like we're the only life out there. It's it's just us, and that's it. That's the solution. Like that is a perfectly acceptable solution. It's consistent with all the data that we have. It's just not very. Um, satisfying, perhaps, and I think it's a little bit unlikely. Um, I talked about in the third part of, part of the series that, like, life is probably common in the universe. Like, it's it just simple life, right? Like little bacteria or or simple cells or things like this. We have a lot of reasons to believe that those are common. But the Fermi paradox is saying, well, if life, if the the universe is so big and if simple life is so common and everything is so old, like, surely there is enough time for a lot of things to evolve as we did into civilizations like ours and become curious like we are and go visiting or at least send signals for God's sake, just shine light at somebody and let them know you're around. So why aren't people doing that to us? Why don't we see huge amounts of signals like that all over the cosmos? Right. Um, and, uh, there've been a lot of resolutions or proposed resolutions, um, to this paradox. And I think, you know, my favorites are typically in the class that you described, which is that there's some kind of filter often known as the great filter a step that is difficult for a civilization to take or or an accomplishment that most civilizations don't make. Um, And that prevents um, as life as common as it is, as it is from becoming commonly civilizations like ours. And of course, the most compelling question about the great filter is, is it in our past or is it in our future? Right. Did we already get past it? And so we're good. And because we became multicellular and we're going to be coasting all the way to galactic domination. And most planets just don't aren't able to get past single cellular life. They just get stuck there. Because if so, we're golden. Um, or is it in our future? Right. Like if, if 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 are we about to destroy ourselves in the next hundred years? Because as soon as you invent technology, you basically kill your planet because you have no idea how to control technology. Maybe that's the great filter. So that's a very depressing idea that it's in our future that every planet develops a civilization like ours which then snuffs themselves out through nuclear war or disease or global warming or some awful thing um so well, do they, there's lots of lots yeah. of different kinds of explanations i mean like i I'm, I'm a believer that uh in a universe of a billion billion galaxies which each have a billion billion stars that mathematically mm-hmm. it's likely that there will be other forms of life i mm-hmm. remember a biology mm-hmm. teacher when i was a kid it was like um if there is other forms of life, you probably can't even imagine what they're going to look like. Sure. Yeah. yeah. The scenario for and, the and that's, of course, the fun planet. part, right? Like, I, I think yeah. I'm pretty honest about that in part three. I think I'd open up and say, like, look, at the end of the day, we have no idea what, like, mm. we're so far now down the speculative territory that even I have to kind of pause and admit that I have no idea what could, what is happening and that we're just going well, to make some 
guesses and we're going to try yes. to follow our guesses and we're we're okay with our guesses being wrong but if our guesses are are simple and uncontroversial guesses that are that we think are likely to be true we have you know if we're being bayesians like we have high pro- belief in them as priors if we like then maybe our conclusions are like okay and worth listening to and in the article i try to offer some pretty simple initial guesses of what alien civilization should they be out there what they must be like um and then we try to pursue the consequences and and basically what i conclude is that like if they're out there, they have blockchains, and if they have blockchains and they're talking to us, they're sending us blockchains. And then I kind of try to pursue the consequences of that idea um, a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, look, that that's that 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 bit was a quite a leap to say that they've come to the same conclusion. <laughs> you think that so? The blockchain is the uh, <laughs> yeah is 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 the is the perfect design for money because we have to make the assumption mm-hmm. that they are. I clearly know, had a conclusion I was trying to reach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but uh, but uh, and we don't know what they'll think. Of. We don't know like where we would be classed amongst these. That you know, we, we might be like these amazing intel- like intelligent life. Sure, or we might be the fucking morons of the universe. You know, mm-hmm. look look at those fucking idiots down there being, acting like fucking idiots. We we've got no idea, right? Just no no idea at all. Also, the other thing I, I think about with regards to like why haven't we seen signals or blah blah blah? Like the universe is obviously a big place. You know, we've dominated mm-hmm. this planet, but I was reading the other day about like two new, was it two new sharks have been found in like New Zealand or something or other? Mm-hmm. Like we're always finding new species, so perhaps, mm-hmm. perhaps just we've not been found. No, I think that's the honestly the best explanation. It's the one I personally actually subscribe to. Mm. Is that we just we haven't looked, and no one's looking for us because the universe is huge, and it takes so much time for signals to move through it, and we've only been around like. We've only been aware in a universal way for like maybe a hundred years, like since we had radio and other kinds of things. It's would have been difficult for us to even notice signals from other places before that. Uh, obviously, folks had come to visit us, we would have noticed it presumably. Um, but maybe that's just really difficult because again, the universe is so large. I think that's just a very simple and to me very satisfying explanation because it doesn't make any claims about what who's out there. It just says, look, you haven't. If they're out there, you haven't heard from them, and that's reasonable because it's just a huge place, and you haven't run into them yet. Um, it's only if they're like incredibly common, like every star system has them, that we would expect like, really to be inundated with signals and have something that we need to explain. If they're, you know, hundreds or a few thousand civilizations across the galaxy comparable to ours or much more advanced, even um, they're still really far away from us. The galaxy is huge, like. It's kind of like saying, what if there were a thousand tribes on all of Earth? Like, okay, fine, your nearest tribe is still hundreds of miles away from you at that point. You're unlikely to run into them no matter how much you've foraged. And it's going to take a long time for you to develop the perspective to realize how populated the planet really is. Have you seen the Drake equation? Yes, very much so. Yeah. So, uh, it, like, so I've just drawn it up here. Um, mm-hmm. So, in a universe aglow with two trillion galaxies, which I didn't realize, <laughs> mm-hmm. you'd be supremely smug to think Earth alone hosts clever creatures. So, blah, blah, blah. I can't remember what the actual number was. It like up to like 100,000? Uh, yeah, we don't know. It's very sensitive to the assumptions you put in, right? I, I, yeah. And so, that, I think that's like my attitude in this article is like, we simply don't know if they're out there or not. We know that it's possible, um, we think it's likely. Um, but we know it's not like they, there can't be too many of them because we would have seen them in some way, but there still could be a good number and we would have no evidence. And that is completely consistent with all the observations that we've made. So on some level, it's my, it's my kind of like mea culpa to open the door and be like, all right, so I can speculate freely. I can conjecture that there are many alien civilizations out there right now. 
um, even in our neighborhood, and we haven't seen them. And I can now try to talk about why we haven't seen them and what they might be like. And of course, since this is a whole Bitcoin series, I want to I want to connect them back to Bitcoin. I want to make the claim that if they're out there, they're like us and they're using Bitcoin. Um, on some level, it's kind of like the idea that Bitcoin and blockchains, obviously, they're obviously not using Bitcoin, like our version of Bitcoin, but they're using something that looks like Bitcoin, right? It's a proof of work blockchain. And, and part of like why I think it, that's important. Go ahead. Go ahead. You're taking it as a natural evolution, right? Like, like uh, if, 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 if life forms evolve from single cell, maybe they always evolve in some form of ocean. You know, eventually, they're going to find a way to get out of the ocean. So they get like the little wings and then they come to the land and they can breathe oxygen and then they need arms and legs, opposable thumbs, a brain. Like all that stuff is kind of maybe natural. Who knows if they have the same organ structure, right? Maybe maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. You know, all that stuff is way, way over my head. But also, if it becomes intelligent life, then it's then it discovers technology, whether that's like a hammer and then fire and then ultimately mm-hmm. like the microprocessor. And you, I, I, I guess there's an assumption they eventually get to the point of money to get to the point of a blockchain. Just just before we touch that, though, because the Drake equation is quite interesting. I've got it up here. Mm-hmm. Yes, the aliens are likely around, and 10,000 societies could inhabit our galaxy, not mentioned to other galaxies, but they're not close. Yeah, that's they might be far away. That's true. Yeah. But then I, I think about, do you ever think about that? I was like, do you know what? There may be a planet like fucking way over there, and there's a bunch of like aliens on that planet going through the same shit that we're going through on here, like arguing over bullshit in their own little world but like wouldn't it just be great to see it it's i think it's it's I, I would put it up like for much of my life it's been one of the most interesting questions that i just i've always wondered about like mm-hmm. i'm not a big wonderer about does god exist or not exist i feel like the terms there are not well defined um but i constantly wonder about whether aliens exist or not exist maybe that says more about me than anything else um recently i started to wonder a lot more about who the hell is satoshi and it's become like my fast running number two mystery that i think about in the shower but for many years, yeah, the Fermi paradox and just where are they and are they like us? I, I think other many people who don't think about this often, like maybe don't feel this way. But I certainly feel that like if we found a signal, if we detected them, if we had direct proof that they're out there and they're even like us in any way, like they even we can communicate with them at all, um, it would be like the most important scientific discovery of history. Like I feel comfortable yeah. saying that. Um, many other people would disagree, and that's fine. People have different priorities, but to me, it just it changes what it means to be human on some level. Like we're, we're suddenly not the universe. We're one planet and we're one tribe and I'm not an idealist. I don't think it brings us all together in a kumbaya way. I think it's going to cause all sorts of crazy shit to go down on our planet uh, in the short term, but maybe long-term like just knowing how we fit into the universe more broadly will help us understand where we're supposed to go, what we're supposed to do. Um, I kind of feel like we're a little bit found, like we're, we're foundering or something, right? Like we've lost, direction um in some way i i i think about like everywhere we went on planet earth there were humans that we found when we got there no matter who we were whether we were colonials or colonized or colonized rather um people are everywhere on earth pretty much um Mm. and for much of human history we assumed that they were out there like in space when we looked there's a cool um maybe it's apocryphal there's a cool like uh, contests like when radio was first invented and like started to come out in like the early part of the 20th century or the late 19th century so early on there was like this reward for like can you send signals to space radio signals and can you get a response and you won a certain amount of money if you get a response from an alien civilization oh but it can't be the martians because the martians obviously exist and so that would be too easy and so this was like the terms of the contest that was created um which i just thought felt was so 
cute because it reflected such a belief that we no longer have. Because what actually happened is once we got good at space, we went up there and we're like, huh, all these worlds are dead. There's nothing out here. There's no signals. We're completely alone. And I think maybe it created this weird like existential panic in our species that like, oh my God, we have no idea what the point of universe or existence is any longer. Um, like we're completely alone and we're just a random accident and this is what it is. And I sometimes believe that if we were to discover that there are other beings out there, in fact, maybe many of them, it would you know, give us maybe again, not directly a purpose perhaps, but it would contextualize what it means to be human in a, in a, in a way that we again used to have, like we're part of a universe of life and like it's the universe is alive and, and it's for life. It's not random. We're not an accident. Like it's, it's common and that and meaningful therefore. I don't know. That's starting to get a little philosophical. Well, you know, yeah, but I think about it in both ways. Uh, I think about it because I'm a bit of a space nerd. I love, I love all this. Mm-hmm. Game and uh, I think about it both ways. Like, if we are an accident, if we hadn't happened, or we destroy it, what a fucking bunch of morons we are. But if we, what a, like, <laughs> an amazing accident to happen, right? Like, I, I, you know, this, this, is, uh, this is probably like back to my uni days of smoking loads of weed, but I used to think about, like, firstly, firstly, you have to have the Big Bang, right? Which no one be, nobody can really explain itself. And then you have to have billions and billions of years, and at some point, there's a creation of uh, the Earth, right? And then mm-hmm. the Earth has to have all this perfect uh, environment for mm-hmm. the creation of life, and then mm-hmm. life has to create it, and then you know, up through the single cells, up to fish, to whatever, dinosaurs. Eventually, we get to the humans, right? And then humans procreate, and two by two, like all the way, all the way to this point where I was fucking born, right? Like, the chance of any of us being alive and existing right now at this moment is so ridiculously small, it's incalculable. So why the fuck are we such a bunch of morons? <laughs> like, why, don't we why, are we such, why don't we appreciate it more? Because the, the chance mm-hmm. of, of any of us being alive and being alive at this moment is, is so rare. But then at the same time, I think about these other civilizations. Like, are, you know, are we an experiment? Um, if these other are civilizations exist... Are we in a zoo? Exi- <laughs> we in a zoo? Yeah, are we the human zoo? Are we? Uh, are we a? Um, was it Musk who said like, if, if uh, you can create simulations, we're most likely a simulation. Like mathematically, we're most likely. I still don't believe we're a simulation. But like all, all these things, I think about, and I wonder if there's these other civilizations, and like I wonder if they just go through the same struggles, conflict, war, you know, that everywhere. If that's a natural, you know, as as gravity is natural in the universe, that's natural as part of the 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 cycle of any form of life or if we are really just a bunch of dickheads i can't figure it out i th- i think that that's part of what i spent some time talking about in the article there's there's a there's some things have to be kind of universal like we have to all experience gravity and light and you know uh, energy usage and thermodynamics these it's hard to imagine life not respecting those kinds of boundaries certain things um even surprising things may be universal, like like the mechanism of genes or DNA or cellular metabolism, like ATP synthase or, or what you like. Like these things are are evolved on Earth very quickly, and it could be that the reason they evolved quickly is because they're very, they're very likely to occur in the right circumstances. And so maybe we wouldn't be surprised when aliens are made of DNA just like us, because how else would you make life? That's the simplest and easiest way to do it. It may be we don't know. Um, I think. Conversely, though, there's lots of reasons to suspect that they may be vastly different, especially as life grows and complexifies. Like, we are a society of individuals. 
which is almost the definition of the human condition is like we're all the same, but we're all in competition with each other. And that just is the, the joy and strife of life. And we've all seen in science fiction, you know, the hive mind where everybody is like the same individual. D- does that society have the same conflicts that our individual members experience? So I think there's room to entertain that like life can be really, really different, but we can also entertain the idea that maybe there are certain universal selection pressures and efficient choices that life routinely makes. And if it's common, then we may expect many kinds of life to look or act or experience things that we experience. Um, you know, um, I'll, I'll give you a really, uh, a, a, an argument that I've heard, which is fun to, to run through, which is like, um, why should, you know, like all alien civilization or all alien species that we'll communicate with will have eyes pretty much that work like our eyes? Like, why is that? And it's an interesting question. It's like, well, because life really has, like, if, if life evolves, maybe it needs liquid water. If liquid water evolves, then like, where are you going to find liquid water on the surface of the planet? You're going to only find it in certain kinds of atmospheric pressures and compositions. Those are likely to be clear. Um, to space at certain frequencies. So light's going to come in at certain frequencies. That's what created the visual spectrum on Earth. It's like, that's like the light that comes in through the atmosphere from the sun. And so maybe these aliens will also have eyes. And so you can run these kinds of just-so stories. Oh, and then they'll have telescopes and then they'll be able to look at us. And, you know, so you can tell these stories to yourself about like how everything will be the same, but you can also say it could be different, right? Like we now know that life might exist inside some of the icy moons of like Europa and Enceladus Mm -hmm. and our own solar system. Like those are those are dark places we think, right? With no light at all. So maybe life doesn't need eyes. So I think there, there's a, a sense in which what you believe or project or claim about external life or aliens or whatever, it, it, it says a little bit more about what you think you are and what you think is important about humans than almost anything else. So like when I talk about Bitcoin and alien species, I, I am saying that, hey, these days I think humans uh you know ability to compete and cooperate and use money to solve resource allocation problems is one of the things that defines your society and that's why it's important to check that out into aliens and i think people who say that the aliens are zookeepers or that the aliens are um you know malicious predators that are out there to kill us uh, they're projecting some aspect of what they think life really really is or they're they're picking the things that they think are most important and they're elevating those and then they're using those to make more general predictions maybe no one is right that's really not my claim that certain people are right or wrong here. I'm just trying to recognize that um, when we speculate like this, we're, we're a little bit looking at ourselves, like we're, we're looking in the mirror more than we're looking out towards the stars. I, I think that's the point. We're judging mm-hmm. any other civilized, well, any other intelligent life as uh, evolving mm-hmm. as we have with the same mistakes and decisions. And uh, who knows, man? It's, it's, I think it, I'm with you. I think it's the most interesting question that we face, like, are we alone? <laughs> I do. I think that's why sure. everyone talks about it. I think that's why when, um, you know, Elon Musk talks about going to Mars or Joe Rogan gets, like, Air Force fighter jet pilot who saw some weird kind of, like, tic-tac thing that he talked about. I think it's, right, we all right, get right. drawn to it. We're all drawn to this idea. I think it is the most interesting question, beyond anything else. Because we all want to we'll say, I out. fucking knew it, man. I knew all along yeah. we were out there. Like we all, we, we all like, ha- like feel it. Uh, not all of us. Some of us feel like the opposite. But many people do feel like it's got to be true, right? And so we're just waiting for the evidence to show up a little bit. So I think it's, it's partly under that kind of a, a model where I'm just like, look, okay, so I'm looking in the mirror and I'm saying, what's cool about humans? It's Bitcoin. And that's what I want to talk about. So I'm going to say they have Bitcoin. And I'm going to motivate that because I think it's natural for them to have Bitcoin. Like, you know, we talked about stories that we can tell ourselves that that convince us that they'll be like us and why. And I try to tell some of those stories, right? Like, 
hey, if they're a society of individuals, they're going to need language and money and language co-evolve. And so they're going to find money. And if they find money and they, I mean, if they're talking to us and they're, and they're the source of an alien signal, they have, you know, telecommunications technology and they have computers because they're otherwise, how are they sending us signals? And if they have those things and they also have money, well, then why didn't they discover Bitcoin? Like they have everything they need to discover Bitcoin. Is Are we so clever that only we could discover Bitcoin or is you know, like evolution, like is, is a, does a technology emerge when, you know, the society it's needs it and all the prerequisites are present because inevitably yeah. someone then invents that thing. Right. So I think under yeah. that model, I sort of suspect that like, if they're anything like us, even in the broadest strokes and they're able to develop technology and like they're a society of like individuals with conflict, like they're going to find Bitcoin one day. I think that's a really good, uh, dude, this is, I think this has been my favorite show I've ever fucking made. <laughs> should, Thank you. I enjoy talking about Bitcoin with other space nerds. <laughs> <laughs> well, do you know I don't. I, I don't smoke weed anymore. Mm-hmm. I kind of felt like I should. We should have done this with a bong in Texas, maybe some whiskey. Um, we're definitely going to talk mm-hmm, about this. Sure. With planes are flying. Uh, do you go mm-hmm, anywhere else with this? Mm-hmm. Is there any? Is there? Is there anything? Look, I think you and I we're going to do like an open discussion about this at Clubhouse at some point, right? But that's like, right. We're going to get something scheduled. Is, yeah. Is, is, are you going to go anywhere further with this? Is there anything? Because like I actually. I'm super interested in more of a like a, a realistic exploration of the first part at a technical mm-hmm. level. I'm really interested in that personally. As I said before we started talking, that bit is that might be relevant in our lifetime. Yes, Whereas, no, I agree. I agree. Unless I cryogenically freeze myself, and well, I do look, the, the potential is. Uh, that's a that's kind of like a good hodl strategy to cryogenically freeze yourself and come out uh, come out in like a few hundred years. You trillionaires. You have to you have to. I think we explode ourselves right now when we freeze them. So you kind of <laughs> got to assume that the guys in the future will be able to fix that for you. But sure, yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah. So where, where are you going anywhere else with this? Is this like is this is done? Done. I've done this. Yep. I'm, I'm moving on. Yep. I say anything else. I mean, on some level, I feel like. I am a little bit done. Like I, I've been thinking about all these issues for a good number of years, and it took me some time to like just sequence it all out, kind of get all my thoughts out on paper, and you know, create a little bit of a discussion space for other people that are interested in stuff like this. Um, I don't know that I have too much more original to say right now on these topics. Um, certainly not in a popular sense. Um, I, I think uh, I've speculated enough. I want to. I want to speculate mm-hmm. on some other things now. I'm re- I, I really want to get back to some more Bitcoin core stack stuff. And there's a lot of things interesting, the Lightning Network and other places that I want to start writing about a little bit more. Um, but there is one area that I, I have been developing is like, um, especially what, to me, what was interesting about part one was how hard, if you'd like, the result was that it was really, I did a simulation and I feel like you can disagree about Martians will create Musk coin. You can disagree about whether Bitcoin is the most important coin or whether we'll have hybrid Bitcoinization or whatever. But it's it's uh, it's challenging, I think, for someone to disagree with the claim that Bitcoin, as currently conceived, will not work outside of a certain distance from Earth, at least not for mining. I think that's pretty mm-hmm. incontrovertible based on the the simulation that I've done now. Now, but a simulation is not as good as um, other kinds of arguments. Perhaps I'm I'm working on a more analytic treatment that tries to sort of say, hey, look, here's the math, and here's all the ingredients, and this is why you can prove that you know. The simulation produced that result, right? That looks like kind of an exponential decay, and like there has to be like some equation that tells me the same thing. So I want to start talking a little bit more about like a theory of how blockchains converge over space and time. Again, not because it's super relevant today to Bitcoin, but it might be. It just might be um, in a few decades as we start to actually 
think more seriously about getting to Mars. Um, so I want to spend a little bit more time on that, on that stuff. But no, overall, I feel like I'm kind of done. I put out a lot of right. like weird, speculative, crazy. These are long, difficult to get through um, articles. If you're, uh, uh, I, I imagine most people just skim them and just like look at some of the pictures and like like some of the quotes and stuff. And that's totally fine. Like I don't intend for them to be like um, they're not very actionable. Let's put it that way. But I do think that there's enough content in them for folks who particularly are interested in space and the Fermi paradox or Bitcoin and blockchains, especially where all these things intersect. I don't, I think there are a lot of people at the intersection of, of being interested in astronomy and space and aliens and Bitcoin and futurism more generally. So I think if you're in that intersection, like come back to these as you, you know, occasionally think about Bitcoin and space and stuff. And I think you'll find that there's a lot that that's in there um, to serve as a good point for starting off discussions. I also totally would love if someone were like to actually really fictionalize this. Like I think, um, <laughs> It would be really cool to watch. Like at this point, I feel like I would want to watch a TV show about like this. What happens on Mars fifty years from now? Like while this stuff gets gets unloaded, you know, um, that's a little bit of a high hope. I don't think anybody is going to do that, but um, that would be cool. I would like that. I, I I think the proudest I have felt is when some folks have read these articles and been like, "This is really good science fiction," because I love science fiction. I think that's high praise. So um, hopefully, yeah. someone makes it really science fiction. Well, like I said to you, like for me, it was two things. It was uh, it was accurate theorizing. It was accurate theories about what happens with Bitcoin in space, but it also was a bit of science fiction. I read mm-hmm. the first part. I've read every word of the first part twice. I read it the first time you sent it, and I was just glued <laughs> to it. So the first time you posted it, and then I read it again for this, and I've also listened to Guy Swan narrate it because I just mm-hmm. I love listening mm-hmm. to Guy Swan narrate stuff. I, I just did a Gigi's book that he narrated as well. He's so good. Um, I've read every word of part two. Part three was more of a skim because I was like, as I went through it, I was like, okay, I get this, but I'm so far removed from the bits I, like, I care about. So I just thought I'd let you, plus I didn't mm-hmm. understand it. Oh, I thought I'd let you shoot the shit. The only other thing you're going to face is, I almost guarantee you're going to, every other podcast is now going to want you on to discuss this because it is fucking fascinating. Talk about Bitcoin in space. Well, I, dude, I, yeah. I love talking about Bitcoin in space. So I'm excited about that. I think um, oh. folks in my company will be annoyed that why aren't I talking about Unchained and all our amazing products and our concierge onboarding program that I'm supposed to promote and I want everybody to check out because um, if Bitcoin is going to space, let's put it this way, you don't want to lose your Bitcoin. So uh, I think yeah. uh, I think sometimes people, like I, part of what takes me a really long time to get these things out is that this is not my job or, or, or something I even do full time. This is like when I can sneak in a few hours, like, or yeah. I've had an inspiring thought. I'm like, oh, I got to write that down. Then this stuff gets done. And I think Parker suffers from this too. Part of me wishes that Parker could just write all day long. I'm, on it, 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 I'm sure the audience you know, has, is familiar with Parker Lewis, but like he's such a good mm-hmm. and compelling and interesting writer. And I've learned so much from reading a series that part of me is just like, Dude. could you just do that? Um, but then I'm like, no, 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 don't do that because you are an incredible you know, uh, coworker and like Unchained, you know, without you, it, it, it would be a very less successful business. And so it, it, it's it's awesome when, you know, we have folks who are, are incredible employees and really shift the ball forward at work, but who also like are writing stuff that I think is like, especially in Parker's case, I think, you know, that's going to last a long time. Like they're going to be reading that on Mars when they're plotting, you know, Musk coin. <laughs> well, I agree with you on Parker. I mean, his gradually then suddenly series is f- mm-hmm. phenomenal. And, uh, you know, I'm talking to him about doing a series with him based on that because it is so good. Mm-hmm. I think what you've done mm-hmm. at Unchained, you've, you've just built a really great team of actual Bitcoiners. Like uh, other, other companies have done a really good job of bringing people in outside of Bitcoin to, to bring a different perspective. But you've got a really good core team of Bitcoiners. And you know, I, the, the, one of the saddest things about the pandemic is, 
you know, the, the lack of travel. I used to get to visit you guys. Like I used to get to drop into your office every two to three months, come and have a steak, come and have a beer. And I, I haven't, I haven't seen you guys for over a year, and that's that's sad. It's it's so still happening. We do a lot of bit dev. Yeah, we thank you so much. I mean, we do a lot of Austin bit dev meetups, and they're increasingly well attended, which I do find kind of shocking, considering I think a lot of people are still staying home. Um, and the, it, Austin is an incredible place to be running a Bitcoin Dude, company, and it's not it, it, it's not just Unchained Capital, though. I, though I am really proud of us for being a pretty central node in the Austin Bitcoin community. Um, there are a lot of folks who are just coming there, and I think it's like that that mix of Texas, like maybe income tax situation. There's climate. There's clean California. There's the shelling point idea of like more and more people come here, so more and more people come here. And and indeed, we were able to even get you to swing by, and we got stakes and. Um, I'm looking forward to that stuff coming back online, like, uh, like much more, but it's, it's, it's exciting to see nonetheless, how much enthusiasm is here. Um, even with the pandemic going on, um, people, yeah. I think sometimes at Unchained, we, we conjectured that there was an effect of like, if a lot of people had a bit more time at home, maybe they took, started to take a bit more care with their finances and their Bitcoin stuff. Maybe there's a lot of stuff they were meaning to do, like get into a multi-sig collaborative custody setup with Unchained that they were like putting off for a little while. Soon as the pandemic hit last year, we saw a huge increase in um, folks coming and signing up and kind of taking the next steps. Um, again, I do think a big part of that was driven by fear and, and monetary changes and people reacting to government policy, perhaps as well. Um, and a big part of it was due to how much how much effort we put in on our concierge onboarding. But um, it's it's been an interesting uh, pandemic, blessings and curses all around. Yeah. Well, every time I have a, a com- conversation with Parker over Telegram or Twitter, he's like, he always says, when are you move into Austin? I'm like, dude, it is a serious consideration, man. I, I, Parker's I, good at getting complex- people to move to Austin. The only complex, I have the complexity of children to consider, but I did say to the kids either way, uh, mm-hmm. as, they want to get back to the States. They love it. So we're, we're going to have a holiday there potentially if we can fly this summer. And I said, look, you guys have got to come to Texas. I've got to take you to Texas, and maybe maybe we'll swing by, and and uh, hopefully I get to see you guys again because I want myself, uh, I want some barbecue. <laughs> I don't want to see you guys. I don't want a whiskey. And, That's the real reason. You know, Peter just misses yeah. the barbecue no, no. and steaks. You know what it's you know what it's like. You get to drop by Austin. I get to see. I get to drop by your offices, and you always kindly let me use them to do interviews, which I'm always grateful for. But mm-hmm. I also get to see Jimmy. You know, I always get to see a mm-hmm. few people, and I, I just love it. So fingers crossed, man. Fingers. It's funny enough, today I actually accidentally signed up to the beefsteak next month and I can't even go. I thought it was the Miami one I was signing up to. Mm-hmm. So uh, like a moron. But but I hopefully, dude, hopefully soon. And listen, I'm humbled that you let me do this. Uh, no, thank you for the opportunity. No, dude. But, um, anytime, man. I've absolutely loved this. I, 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 I flat out say now, this is this is one of my favorite show I've ever made. I just, I just it, it's that intersection of uh, science fiction and Bitcoin, like two of my favorite things. The only other thing I need is Lamborghinis in here, and then I've got everything I give a shit about all in one interview. <laughs> I just can't make the numbers work. But, but I'm nice. humbled you let me do it. Uh, I'm going to share this out with everyone. I'm going to try and encourage people to read at, at least parts one and two before they do it, hopefully all three parts, and I just mm-hmm. can't wait to get out there. So thanks, brother. All right, Peter. Thank you. Well, listen, all the best. Keep crushing it with Unchained. And uh, yeah, hopefully I'm going to see you soon, man. See you soon. Okay. Did you enjoy that as much as I did? Maybe it's just me. I am a bit of a science fiction nerd. I tend to watch every science fiction show, film. I love it. I love it. Did make me think of things like Total Recall. If you're not old as shit like me and you've never seen the original Total Recall, please do go and check that film out. 
It's amazing. It's when we colonize Mars. It's got the Terminator in it. Go and check it out. Now, yes, I love this episode. I think the work Drav has done this series is amazing. And if you haven't checked it out, please make sure you do. The links are in the show notes. I honestly could have gone on talking to Drav about this for hours. So I'll definitely get him back on at some point. I will probably have more questions. But it's really interesting. Is it interesting to think about how a blockchain or the Bitcoin blockchain might work in an interplanetary environment thousands of years in the future? Uh, I, I liked it. But as I said, I'm a space nerd. I hope you did. If you've got any questions, you do want to reach out to me. My email address is hello at whatbitcoindid.com. If you want to support the show, just head over to Apple Podcasts and leave me a review. I hope you think it deserves five stars. Also, go and check out my other show, Defiance. That's at defiance.news. Part four of our Britney Spears series is out. Lots of great feedback on that. Yes, I know some of you are Bitcoiners and you think pop music is shit and you don't care about Britney Spears, but the story of conservatorships is definitely something that's worth checking out. I'm glad we made it. Also, go and check out my newsletter. That's at neveredit.com. That is your daily dose of Bitcoin, tech, and macro. Lots of great feedback on that. Thousands of people signed up already. So hopefully you'll go and check that out. Anyway, have a great rest of your week and I'll see you all on Friday.